Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, the show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Chelsea toil at the vicarage before Ziyech answers Tuchel's prayers. We preview Saturday's derby date at the London Stadium. A Chelsea legend joins us to look ahead to this week's FA Cup final. And lots more stuff about officially the best club in the world. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Tell you what, there's never a dull moment in the world of Chelsea Football Club, is there, listener? Plenty for us to sink our teeth into today. Later, we'll preview the Women's FA Cup final in the company of Chelsea legend Katie Chapman. Now, though, let me introduce two legends in their own households. From The Athletic, it's Simon Johnson. Hello, I, I'm just wondering if you've got the right person again. <laughs> a bit I generous, my wife, yeah. I think my wife is downstairs, I'll just get her... <laughs> Your daughter says very nice things about you, at least. Uh, <laughs> also with us today, Sam Parkin. Morning, Sam. Morning, Matt. That's quite fitting. I've already told you that. I've already um, given my eldest boy two chocolates from Advent Calendars. Pre-7.30. Okay, yeah. Pre yeah, yeah, you're definitely Absolute worse. Absolutely. You know <laughs> my kind of breakfast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same, it's that time of year, isn't it? Uh, hey, I wanted to say thank you to everybody who's been in contact with us to show us pictures of Straight Outta Cobham on their Spotify Unwrapped. Uh, we really appreciate everybody who listens, no matter how you do it. Remember, if you do so via The Athletic, you get all the ads removed. But yeah, that was a, a nice little ego boost for us all yesterday, so thank you for that. Right, about last night. Chelsea worked it well to mount here. This is the ash! Chelsea regained the lead. First attempt for Hibs is going on. Hakim Ziyech gets his first Premier League goal of the season. Uh, it was not our day. It's the very first time where I felt that we were not fully ready for this game. So let's let's take the three points, be happy about it and, and, and prepare the next game. It was so unusual for us that I don't even know if I want to analyse too much. Watford won Chelsea 2, the game overshadowed by the incident in the first half which saw a Watford supporter suffer a cardiac arrest. The action halted for more than half an hour while the fan was stabilised and taken to hospital. Uh, We'll get to the game shortly. Simon, you were at Vicarage Road though. Can you tell us a bit more about what happened and and the response thereafter? Well, it it was quite extraordinary because it coincided with uh, Messina going down uh, with an injury for Watford. So a lot of attention was being drawn to that uh, in terms of you know the general gaze, but it was actually my my colleague Adam Lemtol who who spotted this incident in 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 the opposite stand away from the the press box, um, and you had a combination of a lot of people with you know the yellow bid Stuarts etc. They had clearly spotted something, but you also had the crowd signalling to the players and and the referee to try and get their attention. The game was stopped. I think the players spotted it as well. There's a picture of Marcus Alonso actually pointing, um, you know, and pointing out the situation. 
And then he had this sort of this sort of nervous hush, but the, the physios of both teams were able to go over there and 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 treat the the individual and help out in that regard. And 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 it was what I appreciated was um the communication um from Watford. Um they had a, a, a guy on the, the PA announcer sort of like telling us what was going on. Um of course the players came off the pitch um and we were updated and there was that just that nervous sort of weight obviously my thoughts, for one, obviously not just for the, for the individual involved, but one of the people I was thinking about was Andreas Christensen, who, of course, was on the pitch when Christian Eriksen um, suffered cardiac arrest at the Euros. And you were just sort of thinking, God, how is he going to be feeling? You know, is this going to trigger anything? How is he going to come out and play after this? Um, but, yeah, thankfully, when it was announced that, that, that the individual had been stabilised, of course, carried out on a, on a stretcher, um, and the game restarted after half an hour, but it, it felt very, very strange. You were sort of thinking, "Oh, how how can we now talk and write about football after this?" But but thankfully, that the reports sounded quite positive, and and obviously, my thoughts are, are with that individual and his friends and family, and hoping they make a speedy recovery. Yeah, the supporter was stabilised and, and taken to hospital, which meant that the game could continue. I guess during that break, Sam, obviously we heard that the players wanted to know that the guy was okay before they resumed the match. A lot of it was then about the players getting warm again, but but not just physically. I guess mentally there there would have been a period of time for them to to kind of try and switch their minds back to a football game and and be be cold about it, which is what they had to do in the situation. Yeah, there's a... A tendency to think that footballers are just robots, isn't there? And um, they can just turn on a switch and and perform. So they would have been affected by what they'd seen. Simon's point about Christensen, obviously really valid as well after what he, he's gone through. Um, and I think just psychologically, you build yourself up, don't you, for a, for a match, for that first whistle, uh, kickoff time at 7.30 last night. So have to, to have that interrupted to go back into the dressing room and to have witnessed what they did, it's really difficult to get going again. So it was interesting to hear that the players were in dialogue, the management were in dialogue with the officials to make sure that the uh, the guy was, um, you know, on the mend and then they were able to resume. So it was, yeah, difficult for a number of reasons. Um, yeah, probably gave both managers an opportunity to have a little bit of a team talk during that period and, um, and, and get going from a fresh, not that it, it did Chelsea too much good because um, they were slow out of blocks again. Yeah, let's get to the game then. Simon Thomas Ducal said it was the worst performance under his reign. Kind of difficult to argue with that, but but the beauty of it almost is that they produced that pretty rotten performance and managed to come away with three points. Well, I'm going to slightly, slightly turn it around um, and actually say in some ways it was the best. Worst technically... You know, as a team, etc. But in terms of character, I thought I've seen many Chelsea title-winning sides. I'm not saying they're going to win the title, um, <laughs> but I've seen many title-winning sides deliver that kind of result under those circumstances. It was a, it was a crazy, crazy game. You had injuries. It seemed like every five minutes. I mean, there were before the break in play for the for for the for the fans to get treated. There were three injuries in ten minutes. In the first 10 minutes, it, it was nuts. I mean, the first half lasted 84 minutes. I mean, it was, it's the craziest game of football, I think. I've, well, certainly the longest game of football I've ever played in, <laughs> uh, played in been involved in. Um, you know, it was, it was two and a half hours 
I was, I was sitting there going, it, what, what made me laugh was when, uh, for example, you signed in for the press conference, Zoom, and it, and it was scheduled for 9.30pm, and it was, uh, I think it was 20 past 10 at that time when, when I actually logged on. This is an <laughs> indication of how long it went on. No, Chelsea weren't good. Watford, I thought, did a better job than Manchester United in terms of pressing, but also posing a threat. Um, Chelsea had also made six changes partly because of injuries, without both their first-choice wing-backs. And I just think, yes, we can we can analyse all the negatives, and there were a lot, sound of Um But <laughs> but I think for them to turn around and, and come away with three points, that's, that's got to be massive for their self-belief, particularly when at one point you, you saw the league table, Liverpool, Man City winning their games, Chelsea dropping to third, you could just imagine the kind of negative chat after it if they drop points. Um, the talk would suddenly be, oh, they dropped points against Burnley recently and against Man United. Here's another two points dropped. That suddenly people would be going, oh, you know, are Chelsea the real deal? Have, can they sustain the type of pace? I, I just thought, in summary, as I said at the start, it was a classic win that the champions are made of. Uh, somebody who did play pretty well, I thought, Sam, was Mason Mount. Obviously, scored one, made the other, kissed his badge, so he's definitely not going to Liverpool. Um, a good night for him. I thought he was really good, and that was aside from the, the, the two goal involvements. Obviously, it was a really well-taken goal and a lovely assist, but I just thought his decision-making in, in his passing throughout, you know, some horrendous spells for Chelsea when they were, especially early, under big pressure, never really had control of the game, which is so um, unlike um, Chelsea. I mean, so wasteful in, in possession. Um, I looked at the comparisons between last night and the Brentford game, which I thought was quite a good barometer, considering they were both ugly away wins. I think more in keeping with that kind of champions, uh, you know, the necessity to win games like that, I think the Brentford game was. Because last night, I just thought, you know, they were so poor with possession um, 30 losses of possession, 22 turnovers. And to see Chelsea just, just shade possession, um, sometimes your your eyes feel like they're, they're cheating you. But when you look at the stats this morning, in all departments, you know, Watford probably just shaded that game. But but going back to Mason, yeah, I thought he was really good. And, you know, I noticed that towards the end of the first half, I don't know if Simon did it in the ground, but his position seemed to change from being one of the forward three to being part of the midfield. And I thought that Thomas Tuchel said as much in the the press conference that Ruben Loftus-Cheek was a number six by himself in the second half. And Mason and I think Ziyech towards the end were kind of playing as number eight. So it was the same change they made at Tottenham to just probably get a bit more control in the midfield and have, um, latterly it was Havertz and Lukaku as a, as a front two. That's what it looked like to me. But I think because Mason's so adaptable, so technically good, so tactically good, sorry, um, he can make those little changes, whether they're in possession or without the ball. But, but yeah, that, that's a big plus because he's not been himself so far this season. And you know, I thought he was great in in what wasn't a brilliant attacking display last night. Not brilliant defensively either, but slightly surprising, Simon, to see Andreas Christensen get a start. You, you'd written for the Athletic about this contract standoff, and Thomas Tuchel, I think, to to all our surprise, had directly referenced it in his pre-match press conference. So. Uh, there he was out there. Was that more about Thiago Silva having played so much recently or, or was that some kind of mediation between Christensen and Chelsea? Well, as, as, as some of my delightful uh, Twitter responses uh, pointed out, <laughs> I was under the impression that uh, I was told early yesterday 
that he'd, he was being left out again. And uh, I tweeted, uh, much to my uh, regret, <laughs> like, I, I tweeted that possibility about half an hour before the teams were announced. So inevitably, when the team was announced and he wasn't, I got bombarded with delightful comments from, from some people. Um, but yes, it was a, a deliberate decision to try and rest Silver. But of course, that backfired um, because the performance was so bad in the first half. He was brought on in the second half. The, re- the reaction with, from the Chelsea fans when he came out to warm up <laughs> at half-time, you know, the Chelsea fans just, like treated him like this, this saviour, you know, to, to come and save the day. And he was typical. But back to Christensen. Um, you know, I, 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 I was, I've basically written a piece that, that questions... Uh, not only sort of Tuchel's treatment of him, but why people have such an issue with Christensen wanting to ask for what he's worth. There's this, there's this big sort of, oh, but he's he's reneged on two agreements. Well, well, no, because nothing was actually ever signed. Um, Sam will know this better than me, but you know, a player, a player when he's in contract negotiations, has a right to change his mind and ask for this, ask for that. Just because we we're sort of making it public, this is fairly common for these sort of things to happen. Oh, I want this. The club say this. Da da da. It's just that unfortunately, us journalists are sort of being able to talk about the situation. Say, oh, this has been agreed. Now it's changed. Blah blah blah. And it's just muddied the water somewhat. And for Tuchel to sort of make out that oh, that means that Christensen doesn't mean what he says when he says oh, I want to stay at Chelsea and I love Chelsea and all this kind of stuff. I just think he's out of order, really. It's just like, well, when he's in contract negotiations, is he just taking the, the offer that the Chelsea make him or is he making counter-offers himself? Um, also, you sort of think, well, is this the way it's going to be from now on, that if, if a player doesn't agree to what the club are offering, that you leave them out the side? What kind of message does that send? And another point is... Why is Rudiger not being treated in exactly the same way? Because he's actually even further away from signing a new contract. There's been this argument put out there that's, oh, well, Rudiger hasn't flip-flopped like Christensen has, that, that his stance has been consistent in that he's not signing anything. I just find that a baffling argument to make out that, oh, yeah, you know, Rudiger can continue to start and Christensen be punished. Back to Christensen's performance, though, I thought in the circumstances with the spotlight clearly on him, um, I thought he played really well, um, and and not just in the first half when when he played in Silver's position, but when he moved to the right um, next to Silver. And I just thought he underlined why Chelsea should go out of their way to come to a compromise. I hasten to add they are still in talks, all this negative chat, and they are talking about still about a new deal. So I just think people should sort of realise that just because a player wants to stay at Chelsea doesn't mean that they should sell themselves short. He's 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 on a significant uh, smaller wage than players that are that are probably delivering a lot less on the pitch. The the other thing in play here as well is that the representative will be doing the the agent will be doing the majority of the the talking and yeah and just Christensen will just want to play football, you know, but his agent, his representatives will know exactly what type of money the rest of the guys are on, what he's worth and what they want to get out of this deal as well. So it takes a, you know, still a young man, it takes a bold character, it takes a certain degree of maturity that you maybe don't get to the end of your career where you say, actually, 
I just want to get this signed. I just want to play football, you know, go back on, you know, um, you know, go back to what we were previously offered or whatever and get it signed. So I think there's a, a number of things in play here and you, you know, I'm sure that Andreas Christensen just wants to, wants to play football essentially. Uh, well, one defender who did sign a contract earlier this season was Trevor Chalaber, as uh, Simon pointed out in his piece, those negotiations far, far simpler, but he looked, picked up what looked like quite a nasty injury last night, Simon. What, what did Tuchel have to say about that in his in his press conference? He, he uh, the, the most indication I got, I mean, he, he sort of said on, on, on the TV broadcast that he was worried about it. Um, one of the radio interviews, um, not that I heard it, but I spoke to one of the people that interviewed Tuchel who asked the question directly, um, said that he, he thinks it's a bad one. That was the words that, that were conveyed to me secondhand. And a, by a bad one, you sort of think, oh, that, that could be quite a few weeks out, which is uh, which is, is, is a blow because Chalibur has become a, a very reliable member of that, of that back line. And of course, was moved into midfield. Uh, when Silva came on, but again, perhaps, perhaps as, as as Liam pointed out on on Twitter, that perhaps this is also a consequence of Tuchel's game management, as far as Christensen's concerned, because of course Christensen's been left out as a punishment, and Chalaber has benefited in that he's played every game, but perhaps four games in eleven days has has pushed his body to the max, and and he pulled up in hamstring. It was actually could have been a double punishment because. When he pulled up with the injury, it was actually at the start of the, the Watford counter that led to Mendy making a save at the 35-yard mark with his <laughs> <Yeah>. knee. <laughs> Tremendous save. I thought, oh no, he's going to get sent off, isn't he? He's handled it. <laughs> um, but never in doubt, the uh, the, the Ashin Trophy uh, non-award winner uh, making the difference. But no, Chalaba being out is, is yet another injury problem. Um, they're starting to, to mount up and... Um, not ideal when December is such a, a busy busy month for Chelsea. Yeah, thank God that that chance went to Tom Cleverley. He, he didn't he didn't think for a moment he was actually going to score, did you? If it had been Emmanuel Dennis, uh, it might have been something different. Uh, well, anyway, Chelsea got the win. Liverpool and City winning too. So it's as you were at the top. The Blues a point clear of City ahead of the game against West Ham on Saturday. Uh, before we get to our preview of that match and the FA Cup final, at the Ballon d'Or Awards on Tuesday night, Chelsea won Best Club, whilst Jorginho and Sam Kerr finished third in the men's and women's best player categories. Edouard Mendy came second in the Lev Yashin Award for Best Keeper. Um, Simon, it's, it's nice to win Club of the Year, I guess. I thought the footage of, of Tuchel and, and Emma Hayes and Marina Granovskaya and, and some of the players watching the ceremony all, all suited and booted was quite sweet. Is, it, is there much more to say on it than that? Yeah, I was a bit hurt I wasn't invited. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I would have looked incredibly dapper. No, actually. Would Versace <laughs> have done you a suit as well, Simon? I, 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 I would have really lowered the standard if uh, if I'd been that. No, I mean, it, it's obviously not. I, I sort of think that far too much is made of awards sometimes, particularly the, the Ballon d'Or. And, although I do have great sympathy for everything that Mendy and, and his camp have said. One, about his admission from the, the shortlist. Uh, it was a joke. And Donnarumma is, is a good goalkeeper, but... I thought what Mendy achieved in his first season uh, at Chelsea, winning the Champions League, the clean sheets, etc., etc. It, it was a nonsensical vote, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I, I think, uh, as Tuchel points out on a regular basis when he's asked about it, 
he, he downplays the significance of awards. He sort of says it's all about the team. And for him, it's all about trophy. You know, like what the best award as far as a football, I'm sure Sam would agree, would be to have a winner's medal rather than a, a personal accolade, which um, is nice on the mantelpiece, but a real sort of um, great sort of reminder of what you've achieved in your career is what you've done with your teammates, not what you've done as an individual. It feels like the Ballon d'Or, I know it's been around for a long time, but it's almost exclusively at the moment just for Ronaldo and Messi to try and yeah. outdo each other as much as anything else. The best club thing, Sam, I, I do quite like that because it, the club part of that is quite important, isn't it? It's, it's, it? If they just said, oh, we'll give it to Chelsea because they won the Champions League, well, fine. But it is about the women's team as well, isn't it? And, and the kind of integration between those two teams to make one club, if that's not an incredibly cheesy thing to say. No, absolutely. And and enormous credit to the, the strides that have been made by Emma Hayes and uh, the women's team. Yeah, I don't think that they probably even get in the conversation if they hadn't gone so deep in the Champions League and won the WSL. So it's the collective. It's also the element of Thomas Tuchel coming to Chelsea after a difficult period and hitting the ground running, probably combined with the the influx of the academy players that have become mainstays of the, the side. I, th- I think that's another ingredient, definitely. But um, yeah, I mean, the I suppose the, the women's team uh, have progressed so far in the last five years. That Champions League final, yes, it ended in defeat, but that was a culmination of what's gone on. Better players uh, come in and improve in that squad. But yeah, I mean, it's it's an award for for everyone, isn't it? And yeah, I think the the collective can be really proud of of what's happened over the last twelve months, and it's reward for that. Well, the award that Chelsea want more than any other this season is the Premier League title. Uh, their next step to try and securing that comes at the London Stadium on Saturday. We'll look ahead to that game next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. West Ham versus Chelsea is a 12.30 kickoff. On Saturday, Thomas Tuchel not that thrilled about that, given what his players have been through in midweek. In spite of that, though, Simon, it feels to me like this is actually quite a good time to be playing West Ham because their form uh, has has tailed off quite spectacularly in the last few weeks. They had a win in Europe, but lost two of their last three and and pegged back in the last minute at home by Brighton midweek. Yeah, um, but I I just think um, I'd still be wary about sort of thinking West Ham are there for the taking. I I think... um, that they have been a very good side under David Moyes. Um, he's done a remarkable job there and they will be looking forward to taking Chelsea on, especially if they, when they watch that, that tape of the Watford match, um, they'll be playing with, they'll sort of think, right, if if we can play with similar intensity, we can unnerve, unnerve Chelsea. Um, 
Yeah, this is going to be a real cracking game, I think, even though it is a lunchtime kickoff. Um, yeah, I, 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 with Antonio not sort of, well, he almost scored but didn't score against Brighton. Um, he's gone through a bit of a drought. They're quite reliant on him, but that always makes me nervous um, because I just sort of think, well, he, he might end that drought against Chelsea when, it, when in a game that his fans will really want him to, to, to break that drought. Good to get another another away game quickly in the bank, Sam, just, just to try and shake off what happened at Watford, I suppose. But given the amount of injuries that Chelsea have got, there's going to be more selection headaches for Thomas Tuchel here. Is this the game that we finally see Romelu Lukaku starting, do you think? Quite possibly, yeah. And then you look at the bench last night, it'll probably come down to whether Jorginho's fit enough to come straight back in. Hudson-Odoi on reflection, um, was that the game to rest him for? Maybe could have done with him last night, given the, the form that he's been in. So he probably comes straight back into the reckoning, which we wouldn't have been saying a month or two ago. So, um, yeah, there's good options. Um, it's a massive game, of course, always against West Ham. I don't think they'll be as bad defensively as Watford were in moments. Um, and obviously they've got... Huge threats going the other way. But as Simon says, as Simon rightly says, they're, they're not in form right now. And that's um, the same with Ben Rama, the, the same with um, Bowen. I think Bowen's underlying stats are probably the best out of that trio right now in that he's still getting in the positions. But they've tailed off enormously. Um, so probably a good time to be playing them. Although this is a better side than Watford. They've got considerable threat from set pieces. Um, if if uh, Creswell's back in the lineup as well, so it'll be be a tough game. But I expect this to be a much different Chelsea, especially if one or two of those injuries can come back and he can he can shuffle the pack. Uh, one West Ham player that is in form, of course, is remaining form is uh, Declan Rice. It's the Declan Rice derby, <laughs> um, of course. That the player that Chelsea have long been linked with. Um, Frank Lampard wanted him. I'm told that Thomas Tuchel is a big admirer of him. Uh, but he's got a ridiculous price tag. And he signed this stupid contract, um, which means he's got still, I think, two or three years left on his contract. Then I think there's an option for another year. It's, it's a crazy, crazy contract. So he's got this ridiculous uh, sort of transfer valuation of over £100 million. West Ham have got all the power. And unless sort of Declan Rice agitates for a move and we saw how well that went for our Harry Kane last summer I can't see him going going anywhere for now um, which is great news for West Ham um, because he's he's so instrumental to them but uh, if you're one of his admirers like a, like a Chelsea or, or Man United um, yeah you, you're going to be frustratingly sort of thinking oh that's the player that can can uh, can really boost their midfield for, for many years to come but He's a bit out of our price range. Uh, Sam, this is very unathletic, but here's a totally fictitious piece of transfer nonsense that I'm going to ask you about. If there was the option for Chelsea and West Ham to do a swap deal, say we'll give you a few quid and you can have Conor Gallagher and Billy Gilmore and we'll get uh, Declan Rice, would you do that? No. No, I wouldn't. Uh, I'm a huge admirer of Declan Rice and I, I haven't always been. I didn't see it. You know, covering West Ham games when he first broke into the side, invariably there'd have been cup competitions, but I just didn't see it at all. And then I think the progression in the last year has been incredible. And I don't think I said it on this podcast, but last week I was championing Reese James as the best player in the country right now. Um, 
Possibly not true after the Man United game. Maybe Salah now. <laughs> but the only other player in that conversation at this moment is Declan Rice, I would say. Because I think when I've seen him live this season, he's been incredible. It's been a couple of games when he's not given the ball away. Very progressive with his passing, playing forward, looks the complete midfielder. That said, love Conor Gallagher. Absolutely think he's been a breath of fresh air the last couple of seasons, his low moves. He... He should get an opportunity at some point. You know, he's not probably going to go straight into the midfield regularly next year, but he should be around it, uh, given his consistency. And and Billy Gilmore as well. I worried about his physicality when I first saw him, obviously. But because his brain is so sharp and his feet are so good, no concerns at all. When he got that little run of games, he was outstanding. So hopefully he's not going to be too um put back I suppose by this loan spell which is going to be you know tricky for him I suppose on occasion but no I think we got, we're, we're well positioned in that in, in in that area I wouldn't want to get rid of those two I think either of them would probably get a game now uh if they were if they were on the books before we move on from from West Ham Simon we, we've spoken a lot about defenders today Kurt Zuma facing Chelsea for the first time there's somebody with a lot of motivation for this match oh yeah yeah that's a very good point Matt um yeah, I mean, he had to leave because he could clearly see that his chances of regular first-team football was was uh, unlikely. Like, he'd, he'd obviously come in every now and then, but he wants to be playing every week. Um, Chelsea also saw it as an opportunity to, to bring some money in. Um, he was always uh, one of the most saleable assets that they had. And it's been a good move for him. He, he's been playing well for West Ham. And I think he scored his first was it his first goal from a set piece quite recently? Because uh, Chelsea fans know fully um, how dangerous he can be. Um, he always seemed to... Uh, th- there was never any doubt about his ability in the air. Um, so I would suggest that Chelsea, you know, in an attacking sense, aim crosses away from him uh, on Saturday. And when it comes to defending set pieces, make sure he's well marked. 12.30 kickoff for that one on Saturday, and we will, of course, react to it in Monday's show. But next today, we've got an FA Cup final to look ahead to. On Sunday, Chelsea and Arsenal meet at Wembley in the 2020 FA Cup final. The tournament was postponed for obvious reasons, but it's perfectly timed now because it's the top two teams in the country going at it. Joining us to look ahead to the match is a legend of both clubs. She's captained Arsenal and Chelsea to success in this competition in previous years. It's Katie Chapman. And there it is. The first Wembley winners of the Women's FA Cup are Chelsea. And they have their first piece of major silverware in their history. Emma Hayes has done it. She has led Chelsea to the FA Cup and in the first Wembley final it will be Chelsea's name in history as the first to win it here. Um, Katie, this is the FA Cup in association with Katie Chapman in a lot of ways, isn't it? Because you won it (laughs) 10 times as a player. Your 10th was against Arsenal when you captained Chelsea. It's a competition, clearly, which which you hold very dear. And this final looks like one of the most mouth-watering we've had in years, with, with clearly the best two teams in the country at the moment going at it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the FA Cup has always been the one that you want to play in, the one, the trophy you want to compete for. And I think, you know, having the opportunity now as a female to play at Wembley Stadium, you know, why wouldn't you? And I think um, always with Chelsea and Arsenal, you know, the rivalry between them two teams, obviously they're battling it out in the league. It's going to be a great game. 
And they're, they're playing it, they've scheduled it this weekend, I believe, because it's the 100th anniversary of when the FA banned women from playing football. So it just shows like the about turn of, of the sport, obviously over the, that period, but but really over the last 10 to 15 years, what, what was it, 2015 when, when you captained Chelsea at Wembley in this competition? Yeah, for the first game at Wembley, yeah. And, and I remember that so prominently in my mind you know it was a great occasion I remember walking into the stadium thinking wow like having the opportunity to play you know the home of English football was something special. Um, in terms of the two teams this season Arsenal beat Chelsea in the league earlier in the campaign they are much improved aren't they and, and Leonis Eideval it would seem. Yeah definitely I think if you look at this squad of players you know they've got an unbelievable squad of players at Arsenal and you know they've always been a great team they've not been sort of in and around it recently but they've always been up up there competing and uh, yeah this season looks really exciting they're going to be the team to compete with Chelsea Do you think the international break this week will affect things at all? Because obviously it means that both managers have had less time with their players Absolutely I think that was the problem as well at the start of the season you know they they were all coming off international break then as well at the start of the season in that game and I think it, it showed um, it showed some tiredness between I think both teams in, in that game as well so I think it's going to play yeah a big part in this game but you know, it's the FA Cup and, you know, who wins, wins the trophy. So I'm sure they'll have all eyes on the, on the game. Katie, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, Emma Hayes. You obviously worked with her over a long period of time. Yeah. Have you noticed a difference in her over that, those years? I mean, obviously now she's, you know, as a pundit, brilliantly, brilliant tactically. I've had the opportunity to speak to her a few times and yeah. you would think she's very forward thinking as a coach. Was there a time when she was more about... Um, one-on-one relationships a bit more um I suppose not not volatile but a bit old school in the way that she led or has she always been very forward thinking she's always been very forward thinking very open to learning and, and learning new things trying to, you know she's not scared to try different tactics or a different formation or that sort of stuff she'll change it when she feels like it's right to change it and she always believes in change um I think working I've seen her develop you know from from being the assistant at Arsenal to going and playing under her at Chicago and then obviously at Chelsea, you know, she always says that she all, she learns. And when she got fired in Chicago, you know, that was the biggest thing for her, you know, because it's not all plain sailing. You've got to work for things and sometimes it's really, really difficult. And, you know, I think it shows now that she is one of the best, you know, female coaches in the world. Hi, Katie. Um, you're talking just there about, about Emma learning, um, what do you think she would have learned from that opening day defeat against Arsenal? And, and and in terms of the FA Cup being at stake, could they also have connotations with the league in terms of whoever wins this will have a psychological advantage going forward? I think from the first game of the season she's learnt, she's not going to lose again. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, in their first few games as well, they, they conceded quite a few goals. And I know that Emma prides on not conceding. So I think she, you know, has rectified that now because they've not conceded in, I don't know how many games it is now. Um, and you know what? The FA Cup's a really hard one because, you know, it is a knockout tournament, is it? Everyone gets the opportunity to play in it and anything can happen on the day. You know, you've got to be the best prepared and hope that your team sort of goes out there ready to, you know, win the game and the occasion pulls them through that and the fans um, but yeah it's hard to say I think yeah another win obviously for Arsenal will give them you know massive confidence going into the league won't it so yeah um, Katie we often talk about Frank Kirby and Sam Kerr as, as the key players for Chelsea there'll be a lot of our listeners who, who will be watching this game who maybe don't watch the women's team that much who else should they be looking out for in the Chelsea lineup? You know what I think at the moment who's playing really well is uh, Jesse Fleming and uh, Aaron Cuthbert 
I mean, they've, you know, didn't start, they haven't played much football within the team, but they've been given the chance and they've taken their opportunity. And I think you've seen them, you know, cropping up with goals. Um, Melly Leopold's as well, I think is one that goes understated sometimes in that midfield. She does all the doggy work. And sometimes I'm like, you know, that's what, that's what I used to be. I used to be that person, you know, like quite understated. You'd work really hard in the centre of the park and not really get that much acknowledgement. So I think she's one that needs, yeah, to speak about. Uh, before we let you go, give us a prediction, please. <laughs> My prediction's 2-1 Chelsea. Do you know what? I hope for the neutral that we see like lots of goals. Because I think if you look at both teams, both squads, you know, there's a lot of potential for goals within them or there's not. It depends, but I'm sure, you know, it's, it's going to be a great game of football. And I'm really excited because I'm going to be sitting there with, with my kids as a fan. You know, for one, I want to be playing, of course, but I'm excited to go and sit and watch for as a fan. Well, I hope you have a great day. Obviously, it's going to be even greater if Chelsea win. Thanks so much for talking to us today. No, you're welcome. No problem. Take care. Uh, Arsenal versus Chelsea in the FA Cup final gets underway at two o'clock on Sunday. If you're in the UK, you can watch it on the BBC. If you're not, you can watch it with me. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, former Chelsea player John Sillett passed away earlier this week at the age of 85. He played over 100 games for the Blues, was part of the Ted Drake team christened Drake's Ducklings in the late 50s. As a manager, Sillett would lead Coventry to the FA Cup in 1987. We now know that Chelsea's first game at the Club World Cup will be against one of Al-Hilal, Al-Jazeera or Auckland City at the semi-final stage. The date yet to be confirmed, the tournament takes place between the 3rd and 12th of February. It means Chelsea's Premier League games against Brighton and Arsenal have been postponed. Simon, that means it's going to be nearly a month between Premier League games for Chelsea. That's an interesting little wrinkle into the title race. Yeah, and um, obviously it's going to lead to massive fixture congestion. which you know may give the edge to to Liverpool and Man City um, during the run in. Um, 
but this is the price of success, isn't it? You know, if if you're going to win Champions Leagues and being FIFA Club World Cups, you know, it's it's not the worst place to be. But I, I do, I, I would say that could be a significant factor. Um, you know, especially if this run of injuries continues. Uh, although they may appreciate playing in some warmer weather for a week, you know, it's like <laughs> little unofficial, you know, tour um, to the Middle East. But yeah, I, I just it's just frustrating, isn't it? I know people say, "Oh, it's snobbery," and we we have to include um, teams from other uh, associations. But really, to have like this first, second, second round, then Chelsea playing limited opposition to play what's going to be. Palmeiras in the final let's be honest it, it just seems an unnecessary amount of time for what really should just be a one-off game Sam I was going to suggest that Chelsea maybe just send the kids to this but actually Simon's just convinced me there that a week or two's warm weather training might be a, a, quite a nice sell for the first team squad no just, just just get out of bleak old England in January and do a bit of training and have a little kick about in a game that if you win it brilliant if not nobody's really going to be that bothered yeah, it's a bit of a luxury, isn't it? Getting an opportunity mid-season to recuperate. I think I don't think sending the kids would go down particularly well, Matt, <laughs> um, across the globe. I think they'd get a hell of a lot of stick for, for that. I mean, it, it'd be lovely for the supporters to be the best team in the world um, and, and for the players probably for a, for a period. But I think that's where it, it stops. I, I agree with Simon. I just think if last night's an example of how stretched the squad can become and how difficult some of these tricky Premier League fixtures will be. If you haven't got your your bigger hitters, then there can be some precarious weeks ahead in the in a new year. That said, Liverpool are going to have to contend with maybe losing Salah and, and Mane for a period of time. Um, but yeah, I think it makes it it makes it tricky for Chelsea to go all the way if um, if the fixtures are going to be stacked up. But but I think Chelsea should go and go all out to win this. Um, they had a chance. It, it, it's a it's a trophy that's very hard to win because you have to win a, win the Champions League to do it. And of course, they 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 fluffed their lines in, in two thousand and twelve um, with the mighty Rafa Benitez uh, at the helm, um, who's currently having a whale of a time at Everton. Um, Blue doesn't suit him, does it, Rafa? Basically, that, that's what we've learned. <laughs> well, I think. I think he thinks any colour seats himself, um, but uh, <laughs> but leaving my personal opinion aside, um, no, I think I think you know it's important that Chelsea sort of like they did with the Super Cup, you know, go all out to win it. It's certainly going all that way. You don't want to come back having lost. Um, it could actually, you know, flipping the coin here. Winning that trophy, a bit like if you win the League Cup at that time of the season, can actually give you that that confidence boost, that bit of momentum going into the running. So it's twofold. Yes, it's a it's a difficult timing, but it it could, on the other side of things, actually give an injection of self belief. Yeah, we'll find that out in February. Uh, in terms of the academy development squads, etc., Chelsea progressed to the third round of the EFL Trophy after overcoming Forest Green Rovers on Tuesday night. After a one-all draw, the Blues won the subsequent penalty shootout. It's the first time they've reached that stage of the competition since 2018-19. Uh, many of those players will be involved in the PL2 game away to Derby on Friday night. You can watch that with Sam on Chelsea's online platforms. And the under-18s host Arsenal at Cobham on Saturday morning. 
Uh, right, after two weeks' worth of flawless quizzing from our contestants, I've had a long, hard look at myself and concocted what I believe are six questions which are a level above previous ones in terms of difficulties. Let's see how the chaps get on. All the questions relate to Chelsea and West Ham in some form or fashion. Um, Simon, extraordinary performance from you last week. You're up first here. Let's see if you can maintain it. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can. Wait, uh, where's, where's Lucy's dad? <laughs> bring him in Lucy's dad made a guest appearance earlier and was very proud of the fact that he got Frodo Grodas the other week so I'm interested to see how he gets on with these right Simon here you go who scored one of his two Chelsea goals in the 2-1 defeat at Upton Park in March 1998 oh, brutal <laughs> yeah it is brutal because you've been too good at it 1998 yeah oh, my word only played 13 games on loan, second half of 97-98. There's a clue. Oh. You're still not going to get it, so. Oh, well, thank you, Matt, for that <laughs> rightful lack of confidence. I, I'm, I'm already going to concede. Well, Parkin looks puzzled. There is an opportunity to steal if you'd like. Well, I would have been around, wouldn't I? So, mm. who wasn't very good and used to come and train with the reserves? <laughs> What's the Italian guy's name? Oh, I can only think of one of the um, Scandies. I'm going to go for. I'm going to go for Jess Hogg. What's that? It's not Great a bad shout. shout. <laughs> Random. That's, that's up there with Frodo Grodas, isn't it? I'm afraid yeah, you're at the wrong part of Europe. Well, the answer we were looking for was the Frenchman Lauren Charvet. Played 13 oh, games on loan. Never in a million Con. years. <laughs> e- equally, as, equally as obscure. And did train with the reserves a lot. So <laughs> Lawrence Shaw. Oh my word. I, I haven't heard his name since 1998. I think. <laughs> um, Sam, we're, we're, we're back to more modern times for your first question. Who got sent off in the game between West Ham and Chelsea at the London Stadium last season? Blimey. Mm, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Give me 98. Um, <laughs> oh, it was a centre-half, wasn't it? That was a West Ham centre-half. You're trying to lead me to give you a clue and I'm not... No, it was, it. it was, but I can't think of his name. Yeah, I got it. Uh, Balbuena. I'm going to give you that, you know. I don't know where you pulled it from. It would be nice to have a first name if you have one, but... No. I knew it was one of the... I knew it was Diop or Balbuena. <laughs> it was Fabian Balbuena. You're right. Would you have got that, Simon? No. No. Okay, well, let's see if you get this. Um, in March 2008, Chelsea won 4-0 against West Ham at Upton Park. At half-time, it was 3-0, despite Chelsea having had a player sent off. Name at least two of the three goal scorers and the player dismissed. Oh... Um, Balak. <laughs> Balak is correct. Um, right, another goal scorer. Uh, so I go Frank or Joe. I've got a feeling Joe Cole scored that day. Joe Cole did indeed score. So oh, all we're looking for now Simon. is the player who got sent off. That's the. That's the. Can I get mm. a half point just for the uh, the goal scorers? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's brutal. 
Uh, oh, crikey. I don't know. Defender. This. Da, 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 da. Uh, Carvalho. It was Frank Lampard, who was also the oh, other yeah. goal scorer. Yeah. Damn it. Hard luck. Uh, right, Sam, question number two for you. In 1975, Chelsea won 1-0 <laughs> at Upton Park. The goal scorer that day was once described by the Times newspaper as six feet four inches of hardcore centre-back who had an unsentimental way with a headed clearance. Name that hardcore centre-back. That's the year I was born. It's a lovely line, that, though, isn't it? An unsentimental way with a headed clearance. I'm going to get it. I'm going to know it as soon as... I think Simon will get this and I'll know it as soon because I've... <laughs> I, it's there. It's there. I know there was a there was a tough centre-half during that period. It's going to mm, Yeah, me. quite a famed tough centre-half. Yeah. Yeah. Our friend Clive Walker always bangs on about it. Yeah, always. I know, I know. All I can think is Joey Jones. That's all I've got in my head. But <laughs> I don't even know where Joey Jones played. I don't even know if he featured for Chelsea. But it's that era... Oh, is it like a muck? Something muck? I can't, I can't get it. Simon, can you steal? Mickey Droy. Mickey Droy oh, is right. No. <laughs> yes, that was him. That was him. <laughs> that was him. I knew Mickey Droy. I, I think you just set me up on the volley there, Sam. As soon as you went muck. <laughs> oh, it's one all with one question each to play. Um, yeah, maybe not quite the same same level of answering, but certainly a thrilling competition. Final question for you, Simon. Uh, if he features on Saturday, it will be the 19th time Cesar Azpilicueta has faced West Ham as a Chelsea player. According to the stats website, Transfer Marked, how many of his 18 appearances against the Hammers so far has he been captain for? <laughs> Almost swore then. Uh... <laughs> How do you come up with this stuff, honestly? It, it takes hours and a, a vast uh, team of researchers that I employ I was at say, my own does this take longer expense. than everything else? Yes, that, it does, quite often it, does. I started it on Monday. It's Thursday now. Wow. Uh, how many times has he been captain? Well, let me let me figure this out. He obviously only took the armband officially a couple of years ago. You did really well with this style of question last week when it was how many goals did Edding score against Man United. So I think you can do it. I might go with the same answer, five. Five is absolutely correct. Oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> right, five is my lottery number. <laughs> All right, so it's two ones, so you've got to get this then, Sam. Uh, final question, where was N'Golo Kante listed in the Ballon d'Or top 30 rankings? I've looked at this this morning. He is, I think he was fifth as well. It's absolutely correct. Oh, two twos the final score. That was really high standard. I was going to ask what what number did Mason come, but then you were asked about that on Chelsea TV last night, so I had to change it. It's nineteenth, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, same as his squad number. Oh, well done, guys. That was great. I feel a bit better because you both got um, one wrong, and you two should feel good about yourself because you both got two right. So everybody's a winner, really. Well, I, I'm taking a moral victory because that's the only kind of victory I can get on this quiz. Because, <laughs> uh, like Newcastle, I still haven't got a win. 
but I got those two goal scorers, so there you go. I'm, I'm Sam. You know, forgive me, I, but I want I'll half take... a point for saying Joey Jones on the podcast because I've just looked him up and he did in fact <laughs> never play, play for seven, Chelsea, did he? Seventy-eight times, mate, at left did back he? between wow. eighty-two and eighty-five. So there you go. So I thought That's you were going to say place. half a point for saying Mook. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Mickey just, Droy I'm... goes into the Frodo Grade Ass Hall of Fame. I think we can uh, <laughs> we can say that with some certainty. Um, right before we go, Simon, can you tantalise listeners who aren't currently subscribers to the Athletic with uh, tales of your current and upcoming agenda? Um, I can I can tell you about a piece of I've, I've sort of written this morning, which um, which is about Ziesh. <laughs> he, he put in yet another classic Ziesh display off the bench at Watford uh, it, and I tweeted and I've pretty much written what I've tweeted he, he baffles me he, he, he can just do the worst things and then be influential like he was with the goal so I, I just sort of done a bit of a U-turn on what I wrote in October where I was sort of saying oh you know he's running out of time to prove himself and now I'm sort of saying he's he's despite his flaws, he's showing he is valuable and should stick around, not be sold in January. Um, there is a big piece in the pipeline, but I can't tell you about it. It's uh, it's game dependent, is is okay. all I can say. Well, that's a good reason for people to sign up so they can so they can read it. Um, briefly, Sam, before we go, Ziyech, we, we hardly mentioned him there in our in our um, Watford chat. That was some finish. And, and actually, when he came on, Chelsea looked a bit more stable, even though he was in a kind of slightly funky, unusual position, as were most of the players by the end of the game. Yeah, he was just uh, fitting people in, really, wasn't he, towards the end? And we're not going to see all those players on the pitch. I remember the start of the season. How's he going to get... How's he going to choose three of this... Uh, plethora of options he's got and then all of a sudden you had I think five or maybe even six of the four players on the pitch in tandem last night so yeah I mean he, he gave the ball away a few times early but um, when you got that quality on the pitch that's, that was liable to happen even though it was a not a good performance not a great night as a spectacle um, ZS popped up brilliant finish brilliant finish so yeah he comes into the reckoning for the weekend definitely Yep, we'll see if he starts against West Ham. We'll be reacting to that game in Monday's pod, of course. We'll also be looking ahead to the final group stage game of the Champions League against Zenit. Until then, though, many thanks to Simon, to Sam, to Katie Chapman for joining us earlier, to Lucy and her dad, and mainly to you, listener. We'll speak to you again on Monday. Bye for now. The Athletic.